Long History A Journal of the First Voyage of Vasco da Gama Part 9 Arrival in India Vasco da Gama was one of the three most famous explorers from the European Age of Exploration. On Long History we've already serialised documents about Columbus and Magellan, and here we're covering Vasco da Gama's first voyage, where he opens a route round the southern tip of Africa to the Far East. This is episode 9 of a 15-part series, so please subscribe to be informed of the release of the remaining episodes. And in the previous episode, Vasco da Gama crossed from Africa to India, eventually reaching the area called Calicut, which is in today's Kerala. As the previous episode ended, da Gama had contacted the king of the area and had arranged to meet him. The episode begins with the meeting. So here we go with the journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 9, arrival in India. Gama goes to Calicut. On the following morning, which was Monday, May the 28th, the Captain Major set out to speak to the King and took with him 13 men, of whom I was one. We put on our best attire, placed bombards in our boats and took with us trumpets and many flags. On landing, the Captain Major was received by the Al-Qaeda, with whom were many men, armed and unarmed. The reception was friendly, as if the people were pleased to see us, though at first appearances looked threatening, for they carried naked swords in their hands. A palanquin was provided for the Captain Major, such as is used by men of distinction in that country, as also by some of the merchants, who pay something to the king for this privilege. The Captain Major entered the palanquin, which was carried by six men by turns. Attended by all these people, we took the road of Calicut and came first to another town called Capua. The Captain Major was there deposited at the house of a man of rank, whilst we others were provided with food consisting of rice with much butter and excellent boiled fish. The Captain Major did not wish to eat, and when we had done so, we embarked on a river close by, which flows between the sea and the mainland, close to the coast. The two boats in which we embarked were lashed together, so that we were not separated. There were numerous other boats, all crowded with people. As to those who were on the banks, I say nothing. Their number was infinite, and they had all come to see us. We went up that river for about a league, and saw many large ships drawn up high and dry on its banks, there is no port here. When we disembarked, the Captain Major once more entered his palanquin. The road was crowded with countless multitude anxious to see us. Even the women came out of their houses with children in their arms and followed us. Christian Church When we arrived, they took us to a large church, and this is what we saw. The body of the church is as large as a monastery, all built of hewn stone and covered with tiles. At the main entrance rises a pillar of bronze as high as a mast, on the top of which was perched a bird, apparently a cock. In addition to this, there was also another pillar as high as a man, 
and very stout. In the centre of the body of the church rose a chapel, all built of hewn stone, with a bronze door sufficiently wide for a man to pass, and stone steps leading up to it. Within this sanctuary stood a small image, which they said represented Our Lady. Along the walls, by the main entrance, hung seven small bells. In this church the Captain Major said his prayers, and we with him. We did not go within the chapel, for it is the custom that only certain servants of the church, called coiffies, should enter. These coiffies wore some threads passing over the left shoulder and under the right arm, in the same manner as our deacons wear the stole. They threw holy water over us and gave us some white earth, which the Christians of this country are in the habit of putting on their foreheads, breasts, around the neck and on the forearms. They threw holy water upon the Captain Major and gave him some of the earth, which he gave in charge of someone, giving them to understand that he would put it on later. Many other saints were painted on the walls of the church wearing crowns. They were painted variously, with teeth protruding an inch from the mouth and four or five arms. Below this church there was a large masonry tank, similar to many others which we had seen along the road. Progress through the town After we had left that place and had arrived at the entrance to the city, we were shown another church, where we saw things like those described above. Here the crowd grew so dense that progress along the street became next to impossible, and for this reason they put the captain into a house, and us with him. The king sent a brother of the bail, who was a lord of this country, to accompany the captain, and he was attempted by men beating drums, blowing anafields and bagpipes, and firing off matchlocks. In conducting the captain, they showed us much respect, more than is shown in Spain to a king. The number of people was countless, for in addition to those who surrounded us, and among whom there were two thousand armed men, they crowded the roofs and houses. The King's Palace The further we advanced in the direction of the King's Palace, the more did they increase in number. And when we arrived there, men of much distinction and great lords came out to meet the captain and joined those who were already in attendance upon him. It was then an hour before sunset. When we reached the palace, we passed through a gate into a courtyard of great size, and before we arrived at where the king was, we passed four doors, through which we had to force our way, giving many blows to the people. When at last we reached the door where the king was, there came forth from it a little old man, who holds a position resembling that of a bishop, and whose advice the king acts upon in all affairs of the church. This man embraced the captain when he entered the door. Several men were wounded at this door, and we only got in by the use of much force. A Royal Audience May the 28th The king was in a small court, 
reclining upon a couch covered with a cloth of green velvet, above which was a good mattress, and upon this again a sheet of cotton stuff, very white and fine, more so than any linen. The cushions were after the same fashion. In his left hand, the king held a very large golden cup, having a capacity of half an almude. At its mouth this cup was two palmas wide, and apparently it was massive. Into this cup the king threw the husks of a certain herb which is chewed by the people of this country because of its soothing effects, and which they call atambor. On the right side of the king stood a basin of gold so large that a man might just encircle it with his arms. This contained the herbs. There were likewise many silver jugs. The canopy above the couch was all gilt. The captain on entering saluted in the manner of the country by putting the hands together, then raising them towards heaven, as is done by Christians when addressing God, and immediately afterwards opening them and shutting the fists quickly. The king beckoned to the captain with his right hand to come nearer, but the captain did not approach him, for it is the custom of the country for no man to approach the king except only the servant who hands him the herbs, and when anyone addresses the king he holds his hand before the mouth and remains at a distance. When the king beckoned to the captain he looked at us others and ordered us to be seated on a stone bench near him where he could see us. He ordered that water for our hands should be given us as also some fruit, one kind of which resembled a melon, except that its outside was rough and the inside sweet, whilst another kind of fruit resembled a fig and tasted very nice. There were men who prepared these fruits for us, and the king looked at us eating and smiled, and talked to the servant who stood near him, supplying him with the herbs referred to. Then, throwing his eyes on the captain who sat facing him, he invited him to address himself to the courtiers present, saying they were men of much distinction, that he should tell them whatever he desired to say, and that they would repeat it to him, the king. The captain major replied that he was the ambassador of the king of Portugal, and the bearer of a message which he could only deliver to him personally. The king said this was good, and immediately asked him to be conducted to a chamber. When the captain major had entered, the king too rose and joined him, whilst we remained where we were. All this happened about sunset. An old man who was in the court took away the couch as soon as the king rose, but allowed the plate to remain. The king, when he joined the captain, threw himself upon another couch, covered with various stuffs embroidered in gold, and asked the captain what he wanted. The Gama has finally made it to his destination, and has reached an apparently rich country, is greeted with crowds of people, and eventually gets his meeting with the king of the local area. In the next episode, the conversations with the king begin, and presents are exchanged. Thank you for listening everyone to the latest episode of Long History. If you've enjoyed it, please do give it a like before you move on. And don't forget to share it with any like-minded people. 
This was a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 9, arrival in India. Thank you for listening everyone and goodbye.